0: Welcome, this is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Alright, how are you doing? You good? Let me borrow your ears for about 25 minutes, because I want to sing and dance again. I'm into this thing. And hopefully by the time I finish, some of you who are just getting a little bit too old... Some of you are so old. And you think I'm talking to old people. I'm talking about some of you in your 20s. You're so old. You've developed some stinking thinking. And you got old before your time. Because you listened to the lie that, you know, you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that. Who says? And so what I want to do tonight in keeping with our She Speaks conference is speak to you about the creative power of your words. The ladies have been hearing a lot about this lately, but not everyone in this room is a woman. Are there any men in this place? I love that. My desire when we planted this church was always to have a manly church, Full of women, but have, have some men that can rise up and be men. Because for too long in too many churches, there's been little old ladies of both sexes. And that ain't going to impact the culture in which God has placed us. And so I praise God for that. And so I could entitle my message, He Speaks Tonight, but I won't. But the ladies have been listening to a number of perspectives from a number of different women about how you speak. Because let's face it, guys, the biggest understatement that I've heard this year is that she speaks. We know she speaks. We want a conference to know how to shut her up. (laughs) So the nature of the conference was not to get women talking. They do that naturally. The heartbeat behind the conference was to make sure that what she speaks counts, that what she speaks is good and godly. And so our women have been sitting under teaching after teaching, saturating themselves with such thoughts. And I wanna bring my two cents worth tonight. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter one. The first five verses, it simply says this, in the beginning, God, I love that. If you want your life to go well, put God at the beginning. Because in the beginning, God, everything starts with God. In the beginning, God, don't get quiet on me, please. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, underline the word said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw that the light was good and He separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and out of the darkness, He called night. And there was evening and there was morning The first day. Question, what did God use to create the world? Words. God used words to create His world. Everything was made by His Word. He spoke and it came to be. All the animals, all the varieties, all the species that we have, were spoken into existence. They didn't evolve. They were created by creator God with his voice. Didn't just happen. Nothing just happens. And so here's God, he's speaking life. And every time he speaks, because he's a life-giving God, life comes. And so he says, trees, and there were trees. And birds, and there were birds. And spiders, and there were spiders. Giraffes and elephants, tigers and lions and bears. Oh my, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. (laughs) My daughter did the Wizard of Oz this year, it's all right. And all these incredible forms of creation came into existence because God spoke. And then he saved the best to last. He said, Let there be man. And there was. And he created woman. And he said it was very good. Here's my point. Just as we see God creating his word, sorry, world with his words, so you and I create our world with our words. You want to shape your words, uh, sorry, world? Then you better shape your words. Because our words create our world. Just as God said, let there be, and there was. When you say, let there be, there will be. We see that with Adam in Genesis chapter two. It says, God formed the man out of the ground and all the beasts of the fields and all the birds of the air. And he brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whatever he called each living creature, that was its name. And so this big creature comes by with a long neck and it had brown and yellow spots all over it. And and Adam goes, oh, giraffe. And it was a giraffe. And this this animal, yay big, with a big hairy mane comes by and and, and, uh, Adam says, oh, lion. And it was a lion. And it's true for us. We will call things into existence. What we say is what we ultimately become. If you wake up tomorrow morning and look outside and the weather's not quite to your liking and say, what a terrible day. Guess what your day just became? Raining and terrible are two different things. And we call things all the time. And so even the best day can be turned into the worst day because we called it a bad day. Our words shape our world. I wanna look at three things very quickly tonight. And I intentionally wanted to be shorter in my preaching because of all the ministry that's taken place this weekend. But I want you to catch my heart through what I share tonight. Three things about your words that are so vitally important. Number one, your words reflect your faith. In Romans 10 verse eight, it says, the word is near you, it's in your mouth and it's in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with our heart that we believe and are justified, and it's with our mouth that we confess and are saved. This passage that I've just read refers to the word of faith. Every person in this room, Christian or not, has a word of faith. You have faith. Because faith is simply believing in something. And so all of us believe in something. Even believing in nothing is believing in something. We all have a measure of faith. The Bible even says that. That every one of us in this room and every one of us on this planet has a measure of faith. In other words, we have the ability to believe. And believe we do. And our words, I want you to catch this, our words are the raw material that we use to create our belief system. This scripture says it's the word that is near you. The word that is near you. In other words, it's what you listen to. When the word of God says it's the word that's near you, what it's saying is it's the word that you listen to. That's the word that's close to you. That's the word that's near you. You know, when somebody does something, you say, oh, I can see who's been in their ear. In other words, there's been a word that's been near them. And so my question to you is, what is the word that is near you? Because that's gonna form your belief systems. It never ceases to amaze me. Some of the opinions our young people have, and I'm not talking about young teenagers, I'm talking about kids that are five and six. I don't know if you saw in the paper last Sunday, there was two pages full of all people's opinions as to what they would do if they were prime minister. Did anyone see that? And there were people who aged 52 and they would do this and there was people who aged in their 30s and they would do this. There was one young punk, I think he was eight years old. And he comes up with this notion that he's a little bit concerned about the taxes and he's a little bit concerned about this and he's a little bit concerned about that. And I'm like, dude, you, you did not come up with that yourself. <laughs> Someone's been in your ear. There's a word that's near you. Yeah, yeah. And there was a word that was near that kid for him to formulate. I'm telling you, kids shouldn't have to think about that stuff. Yeah. He's talking about global warming, this, and he's talking about the uh, population, the boat people. I'm like, kid, you're eight years old, playing cricket or something. Got some young kids, I don't believe in God. If God was a God of love, why do all these bad things happen? I think, dude, you're four years old. Where do they formulate that belief system? Someone's been in their ear. What's the word that's near you? This scripture is referring to the word of God. Is the word of God near you? Or is it the voice on modern family? It never ceases amazing what is acceptable now in our culture. I mean it just seems that every program has got their obligatory gay couple. And, and and you know, if you mention the elephant in the room, if you actually talk about it, you kind of you kind of get ridiculed. But we're getting bombarded with all these thoughts. And I ain't that old, but I've been around long enough to know that in the last 20 years, things have changed quite drastically. People are loud and proud about things now that we didn't even mention years ago. And we call that liberation. It's not, it's perversion. But there's this word, oh no, and we, all of a sudden we have Christians saying, "I oh, no, it's all right, these things are acceptable. You know, you should, you know you, you've got to love, you know, God says love all people. Yeah, but he didn't say love sin. And I'm not just talking about homosexuality. I'm talking about gossip and slander and stealing and and swearing and arguing and bickering. What word is near you? Because it's going to formulate our belief system. For the ladies that were here at the conference, they would have heard many ladies speak But one was my sister-in-law, Sally Ann, and she did an incredible job. And uh, she told her story of what's been going on in her life. And I'm not going to do it justice. But in a nutshell, for the sake of time, there was a lump found in her body which needed to be removed, and then some treatment was needed for about a six-week period. And I commend her because through that time, she just carried on. And she told a couple of appropriate people, and that was it. To keep her accountable, to keep her faith strong, to keep the right voice in her ear. But the thing behind it was, she didn't want too many people to know because that would create too many voices. And some of the worst voices in your ear will be well-meaning Christians. Because everyone's got a story about somebody who had the same thing that you've got. Everyone knows somebody who, you know, you do ingrown toenails. Oh, I had a friend who had an ingrown toenail. He died, you know. Now, what? You... It's like in kindergarten cop. I don't know if you ever saw that. But Arnold Schwarzenegger's got this headache. And this young kid goes, You've got a tumor. It's not a tumor, it's a headache. And you know what? We've got to say that we're going to be like, "Oh this is not a tumor. it's a toenail." I mean, what? Your words reflect your faith. I don't care what they put on television; it will not change the Word of God. I don't care how acceptable some things come; it will not change the Word of God. Do you believe that? What's the word that's near you? Because that's going to formulate what you believe. And you won't really know what you believe until there is pressure applied to your life. What do you believe? What word is near you? And that's why I'm a great believer. And you better choose your friends carefully. You can't just hang around anyone and expect to fulfill your destiny. I want to say there's some people out there that are just plain idiots and you shouldn't hang around them. And then there are some people that are good people, but they're not good for you. I remember my pastor coming to me when I was about the age of 20 and I had two mates in my world. And uh, we did lots of things together and we had a lot of fun. But God was doing something in my heart and and my pastor could sense that God was doing something in my heart and he sensed there was something on my life, which I was totally oblivious about. I was just having fun. Because I like fun. Who likes fun? And so here I am just doing my thing and I'm having an hour and, going to, and then my pastor says, hey, Tony, let's catch up. And whenever a pastor says that, it's not usually good. And so I catch up with him and he, and he was talking about a whole heap of things my life, my destiny, my this and my that and whatever. And I'm like, yes, great, fantastic. I, I'm young, I'm inexperienced, but I know where this is going. There's something. I'm like, yeah, okay, i am just get it out of the way. Yep, <laughs> what's your point? And he brings up this thought about these two guys that I'm hanging around. They were in church, they weren't necessarily messing around, good solid lads, but they just weren't right for me at that moment. And he didn't say, I want you to stay, start an anti-hate campaign against them. He just said, just, I think you should just withdraw and bring other people in your world because of where you're going. And these were good people. You know what, I, I didn't like it. I took offense at to it. I didn't think Paul knew what he was on about. But I knew enough to take things to God and I just took this thing to God. And I remember making that change in my life. And I, and I want to say that while God is sovereign and God is good, I don't think that without those situations and those moments in my life, I'd be doing what I'm doing today. So you know what, if someone's an idiot, that's obvious, don't hang around them. And some of you need that revelation because you're hanging around idiots. Doesn't God love them? Yes, but they're still idiots. You're looking at one. (laughs) And then there's some good people that just aren't good for you. Because they don't speak the right things into your life. And my pastor at the time recognized I needed certain people in my world to bring me and to pull me out of where I was into something better. Because yeah. often good is the enemy of best. Yeah. And so I was living a good life, but there's God wanting something greater for me. Yeah. And I needed to hang around people who could, who could speak better words and just, hey, do you want to play soccer? So that's not a sin, but like, you, know, you, you can't build a destiny on that. Yeah. And do you want to do this? And you want to go to the beach. And you want... That's all fine, but you can't build a destiny on that. You need someone to say, "Hey, hey, what have you been reading?" And so I started surrounding myself with people who would start speaking into my life. Say, "What have you been reading? What have you been reading in the Bible? What have you been..." Doing? Those other guys didn't do that. Good guys, but weren't weren't feeding me, weren't encouraging, weren't taking me any further. And some of you, as I've been speaking, know that that's true for you. And I'm not going to put that on you, but if you feel something go off on the inside of you, that's God speaking. It's the word that's near you right now. I would have to tell you, you know, the two guys I was hanging around, they were so fine with it. They understood. They didn't. They were confused. They were hurt. They were a whole heap of things. But I had to do it nonetheless. Because I need that right word to be near me. And so do you. Because words reflect our faith. Secondly, words determine your course. Psalm 45 verse 1 says, My heart is stirred by a noble theme, and I recite my verses for the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. I don't know if you ever thought about it this way, but every time we speak, we are writing a book. And the book we're writing is a book about you. When I speak, I'm writing a book, and the book is entitled Me. And there's a big picture of me, an awesome picture of me on the front cover. It's an amazing picture. Photoshopped, airbrushed, it's awesome. And it's of me. And the words that are in that book are the ones I speak. That being true, we can determine the course of that book by the words in which we speak. Now, I'm not talking about changing the course of history or a destiny god is sovereign but you know what you can be in the worst moment but see it in a positive light and speak positive words and that day that would normally take someone out makes you stronger by the words you choose to speak and so your book is say i had a really bad day it was terrible everyone was picking on me i hate it Oh, man, I had a tough day, but you know, some of the things I learned from that tough day have made me the person I am today. Same circumstance, same situation, different book. By the words we speak. I was talking to a young man not too long ago and it shocked me by what he said. In talking about a number of things, in the course of the conversation, he says this, when I'm older, I'll go to jail. I'm like, what? I mean, what have you done? I said, so why, what have you done? He goes, oh, nothing. But my mum ended up in jail. My dad ended up in jail. So I'll end up in jail. And you know what? With that thing, you guess where he'll end up. There'll be a picture of him on the front cover behind bars. How many people do you know today that have told you, and maybe you're one of those, I'm not getting married. Why? What has marriage ever done to you? Oh, my mum and dad. Didn't work for them. Why should it work for me? And we're writing our stories. And I want you to know there's a method to my madness behind most things that I do. And when I stand up here and just talk about my wife and how much I love her, there's a purpose in that. Because I want to change the way people think about marriage. Any chance I get an opportunity to say, I love my wife. And some of you have been in church for a long time have heard me tell my skating story and how we met when we was 14 and we dated for eight years and then we've been married for 18 years. I want you to know that. And I want you to know that I'm madly and passionately in love with her. And I love making love with her. I want you to know that. Not to gross you out. But I want to combat the lie that's out there that married couples don't have sex, and if they do, it's not fun. Because if there is a glimmer of hope that you can be married for a long period of time and enjoy each other and stay married and be in love and have sexual intimacy that is pleasurable. If you actually start putting that in your thinking, you'll start thinking differently. And so I get up here all the time and I talk about my kids and I talk about my family and I talk about my wife and how much I love her because I want you to know that I love her. I want you to know that we live in a society that says, you know, marriage can't work. I want to say, you know what, it can And if you are happily married, tell everybody. Nice, nice. Is there anyone else? I mean, come on. Who wants to go home right now, married people? Come on. violently when people say oh I've got to go home to the missus I mean what does that say yeah. oh, I've got to go home to the ball and chain I mean come on <laughs> what the heck is that stupid talk stupid I want our kids to know that we're in love Mitchie saw mum and dad kissing the other night and, and, and we knew he was watching so we just kissed a little bit longer And he's in this room, I think he's in this room, I think he is. And he goes, That that kiss is too long for me, I'm out of here. (laughs) But I got a sneaking suspicion in his heart of hearts, he's saying that's much better than the fighting. Our words determine our course got a three-year-old daughter. She turns four on September 8th. And you'll tell anybody. I think she's hoping to get a lot of presents this year. <laughs> and, and we have makeup stories and, and every night. And uh, I was bringing her to church tonight. I said, look, t- tonight's going to be a little bit later. It's per normal. So I'll give you a makeup story in the car on the way down. And, and she helps me with a makeup story now, which is quite sweet. <laughs> but every story I start, it always starts like this. I know I've told you this, but I'm going to tell you again. Once upon a time. There was a beautiful princess and she had blonde hair and the most beautiful blue eyes and she was three years old and she knows I'm talking about her and every day she's hearing she's beautiful and isn't it amazing that some of the breakthroughs that some of the ladies had as they stood up here and testified this morning they said wow I had a revelation I was beautiful yeah. so cool. I want my kids to go into life thinking I'm beautiful man they don't need a revelation. I want them to know like they know, like they know, like they know, like they know. And if they get a little bit big headed, you know what, life tends to knock some of that out of you. Don't think as parents, you have to teach your kids a lesson. You know what, life will do that. What they need from you is encouragement and love. They need to be told they are beautiful every day of their lives. And so I tell these silly little stories and we've got seals and, 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 and now it's dolphins. We've got a whale. And it and you know, started with animals that could actually go places. Like you so these cats would go and watch movies. We go to McDonald's and, and, and then we'd have to go to the vegetable shop because we don't want to get unhealthy. <laughs> so we talk about all the vegetables you need to buy. So kind of life lessons, but having fun. But you know, this, this princess's friendship circle's getting bigger and bigger. And now there's dolphins that come along, and there's whales that come along, and there's seals. I'm thinking, how is this has-? just, You know. And, And and, and as we're driving down, Cows, we're driving down a church, and I said, they went to the movies. I said, what movie did they see? They said, Avatar. (laughs) Really? So I said, oh, you know what happened? To get in the spirit of the movie, they painted themselves all blue. And there was a blue seal, and there was a blue penguin, and there was a blue whale, and the princess was blue. And they walked into the cinema, and everyone was laughing their heads off because they were blue. The funny thing was, I don't think she gets that the creatures in Avatar are blue. She just said Avatar. So she's like, why would they be blue, Dan? (laughs) (laughs) Your words determine your course. And thirdly, is this helpful? Your words are a matter of life and death. Proverbs 18 verse 21 says, The tongue has power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, what you say determines how alive you feel. You've got to catch this. People ask, how are you? Oh, I'm okay. Then that's the best you will ever be. What you say determines how alive you feel. Esau, who was a character in the Old Testament... He had a brother called Jacob, and Jacob was a little bit of a mummy's boy, and he would stay at home. And you know, he'd be he's the kind of guy that'd be on MasterChef. That was Jacob. But Esau was a man's man, as he was a hunter, and he would go out and get the animals, and then it was the mummy's boy that would cook up the stuff. And, and so one particular time when Esau was out there, you know, hunting and, and doing all the manly stuff, he, his his brothers at home cooking this incredible stew, which got like a ten by Matt Preston. It was an amazing stew. And so, you know, after a, 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 a hard day hunting, there's only men out there that are hunters. Just, oh, and he smells his stew, and he, and he realizes, man, I'm famished, I'm starved. And so he says, "Give me some of your, give me some of your stew, mummy's boy." And he says, "I'll give you some of my stew if you give me your birthright," which was a big deal back then. And he's like this, he says, Ah, what good is my birthright if I starve to death? Give me the stew. And he forfeited his birthright over a bowl of stew. It could be said like this, he forfeited his destiny over a lousy meal. Because he spoke these words, I'm starving to death. And that's how he felt. Could have been oh so different for him if he had recognised what was going on and spoke different words. He says, "You know what, kid? I'm hungry, but I ain't stupid. You can stick your stew." And he could have just ripped that animal open right there, just buried his head in it. Ah! It's a stupid mummy's boy. Ah! But because he said, I'm starving to death. He felt like he was dying. He wouldn't have died. How many of you have said, I'm starving to death? You can go 40 odd days without food. You've probably gone 40 minutes. I'm starving to death. You won't die. We say some dumb things. And it's interesting that the harder the times are, the bigger the exaggerations are. Have you noticed that? Walking around the shops all day, oh, my feet are killing me. No, they're not. Can you imagine what that would look like if your feet were actually killing you? (laughs) Stop it, feet. You're killing me. I mean, like. I love this one, and, and you've heard me say this before, but the whole world's against me. Don't be stupid. Most of the world doesn't even know you. Most people don't know you exist. If by the whole world you mean your 60 friends on Facebook, <laughs> and even if you have your 1,200 because you think you've got so many friends, but most of those don't even know you, <laughs> the whole world's against me. No, they're not, they don't even know you. This is what happened to me more recently. I'm 41 years of age, for those of you who don't know. For those of you looking up me thinking, who's that young 25-year-old up there? <laughs> and I've played soccer most of my life and other sports as well. And, and I still play a little bit of indoor soccer on a Thursday night. And a few weeks back, I, I, I did a groin injury. And I pride myself on not getting injured because I've gone through right, this soccer career and blah, 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 blah. And I don't get injured. and you was know, fantastic. But, you know, I went down. And... Um, it's interesting. I, I walk in to the next meeting the next day. I said, oh, what you done? I said, ah, oh, I did my groin at soccer. Having never done one, which is some, an achievement in and of itself, playing as soccer as often as I have over the years. And it never ceased to amaze me how many people said, oh, you're not as young as you used to be. Some of it was said in jest, but I'm telling you, I got this overwhelming, oh, you're not as young as you used to be. I'm like, yeah, maybe. But I ain't living dead. I'm like, you know, I felt like some people wanted me just to, you know, lie in a coffin and stay there till I die. Because I'm not as young as I used to be. And I, I, I want to tell you, there's times you've got to fight for your future. I don't know of those of you who were here this morning, heard what Beryl said. But she testified, and this is a woman who's, you know, 50s, 60s, somewhere around there. And she testified this. She said, You know what? I learned something this weekend that I'm not all. And it hit me at that moment that there's a lot of people in this church that think they're old because the culture and society in which we live tell them they're old. You hit 50, and you ain't been employed, you can't do this, you can't do that. And we, like, subconsciously we allow like, oh, all this stuff to get on us. And so your words are a matter of life and death. And so what I did with those words, I thought, you know what, I've had an injury. I ain't dead and I'm not going to stop playing soccer because something bad might happen. I mean, all of a sudden, if, if you stop, if you have that thinking, you wouldn't do anything. Yeah, right. And you have to fight. Because you feel like the whole world's looking at you thinking, you silly old bugger. <laughs> when all you want to do is play soccer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Maybe some of the young ones can't relate, but I, I want to speak to any of you that are my age and older, Don't let the world, society or culture tell you how old or young you are, how fit you are, how beautiful you are. What you say about yourself will make you feel as alive or as dead as you speak. And so I've never said, I'm not as young as I used to be. That's true. I'm not 21, I'm not in denial, but I ain't dead. And we can still whip any young guy who ever comes up against us from this church when it comes to soccer, every time. See, even that comment, that's a victory for me. He said we beat him once, and it's true. We've played him about 30 times. We win. Are you getting this, people? What you say determines how alive you feel. And what you say about others will determine how alive they feel. And so we have this opportunity in church and in our world that we go to tomorrow, wherever that may be. To speak words of life. When people say, oh, it's a terrible... Hey, you know what? It ain't that bad. And we bring perspectives. That could be a lot worse. When someone's complaining about this or complaining about that, we can, we can bring life and hope and perspective to people with our words. Yeah. We need the musicians to come up here. Our words frame our world. It is my prayer that for every woman who was at the conference would not just forget what you've been saturated with this weekend by tomorrow morning. I want you to know there is no such thing as Monday morning itis unless you say there is. You can wake up tomorrow and say, oh, Monday morning, oh. Or you can say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and I will be glad. And His mercies are new every morning and they are there for me to lay hold of. Father, I thank You for Your mercies. I receive them afresh today. I thank You for fresh grace. I thank You for new life. I thank You for the presence of the Holy Spirit at work in my life. It's up to You. It's up to You. You know when I've stood up here and said, come on church, respond. It's not that I'm so insecure that I need you to respond in order to make me feel good about myself. But I think you need to respond because faith comes from hearing and hearing the word. It comes when we start speaking. You don't get faith just from my words, you get faith from your words. And whenever I preach, I wanna tell you, there's two things about my preaching. I'm either good or very good. And, And even in my worst, it's worthy of a response. That's, that's, what I, that's what I think about my preaching. And we sit there quietly. And maybe we see our wife, she's bought a new dress. And we have this opportunity to say, you look beautiful, honey. And we just sit there silently. And then we have kids come home having done something great at school. And we have the opportunity to say, well done. But we think, don't want him to get a big head," So we say nothing. We say, my father never complimented me, so I'm not going to compliment them. And we remain silent. See, I said before, there's a method to my madness. I want you to get vocal. I want you to be a responsive church, not because I'm insecure, but you need to be a people that respond. It's the devil who wants to keep us quiet. Bad things happen when good men remain silent. You know, when Eve took that apple from the tree in the Garden of Eden, The problem was not Eve. The problem was the man not saying anything. Adam stood by and watched his wife get deceived and he didn't say anything. We've got a world that's going down the tubes fast and we just sit around and say nothing because we don't want to offend anyone. You can't talk about this anymore. You can't say that. That's not politically correct. And the world goes further and further down the gurgle. Gurgler. But we have opportunity to speak up, not in an arrogant way, but in a way that says, come on, there's something better. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.